0: The message today comes from Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, and it's entitled The True Messiah. Bible historians tell us that when John the Baptist began to preach and to baptize the multitudes that came out to hear him, there had been more than 400 years of silence since other prophets had spoken in the land of Israel. Why that had been, we don't know. But those intervening years had been a wilderness for the people of Israel, and perhaps that's why when John the Baptist came preaching his message of repentance, the people wanted to think more of him than he truly was. His words were so powerful, and they were so convincing. His lifestyle was so holy, and his purpose was so clear. It was with great hope that the people began to ask the question, Might this man be more than just a prophet? Hear these words from Luke chapter 3 as John responds to the people's reaction to his preaching. Beginning in verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the tetriarch, being rebuked by him, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form, like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now, even though there had not been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years, during these days of John the Baptist, there still were many devout believers in Israel who were faithfully looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. And so as John came preaching the message of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins, the people's hopes were greatly heightened. And as we know from even before his birth, the Holy Spirit had filled his prophet from God. And now the Holy Spirit flowed freely with all the words that John would preach. And as the people listened to John's words, strange and wonderful changes began to take place within their hearts. They now had the desire to turn from the behaviors and lifestyles that they once enjoyed. And so they asked John, What shall we now do? And John, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knew exactly what to tell them. The instructions he gave them were commands that they truly should have known already from the Scriptures, but somehow they had failed to learn. Simple but practical acts of righteousness. He said, if you have extra clothing, then share that clothing with others. If you have extra food, share it. If you're a tax collector, collect only what, is right. If you're a soldier, treat people with kindness and be satisfied with your wages. Changes like that were taking place within the hearts of these people, and those are an outward evidence of an inward conversion, a turning of a person's heart away from sin and towards the purposes of God. Conversion may not always immediately result in salvation, But conversion is a first step, and as it was with these dear people, when spiritual changes are working their way through our souls, we can't easily understand how we're supposed to respond. These people only knew that their hearts were crying out within them to go on further and to learn and to know and to experience the things of God. That is the way of God's Spirit, and that's the way of his plan within our souls, He first cleanses our heart from sin through repentance. And then his spirit begins to groan within us, causing us to yearn for more of God and to seek after his presence to fill that empty place where sin used to reside. And somehow, no doubt because the Holy Spirit was working within them, these people's hearts began to yearn and to call out for the Messiah that they now knew would come. These first moments of conversion can be an exciting time for us folks, but we must also exercise caution. Our first moments, our first days of belief can be a particularly vulnerable time. When a heart has first been wiped clean from its sins, it begins to hunger, to be filled. And in that hungering, there's an opening for the evils of Satan to step in. As the words in the parable of the sower warn us, the evil one can come in like birds of the air and snatch away the precious seeds that have been freshly sown there in the soil of our heart. That's why it's so important, so important that in those first moments of conversion that fellow believers would be available to come alongside and carefully disciple and teach the truths of God's word to a new believer. I must say that I believe that that is one of the shortcomings of our churches these days. There are very few discipleship programs within our churches. And there must be. There needs to be. God calls all of us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And that's what we're to do with these people who have been newly converted. We need to come alongside and carefully disciple and teach the truths of God's word to the new believers. Though it doesn't say it here, I have no doubt that it was most likely one of the schemes of Satan at work to immediately confuse these people into thinking that John the Baptist might be more than just a prophet, that he might actually be the Messiah. And John might have appeared to be very much like the Messiah that the people expected. He truly was by far the most powerful and convincing voice that any of them had ever heard. And he was saying right and righteous things, the very things that they had yearned to hear. So it was only natural for them to think, or at least hope, that John the Baptist was perhaps himself the Messiah. And so in their confusion, they asked him, Are you the Messiah? Had John not been so filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his birth, and so committed to his calling, he might have succumbed to the temptation to allow the people to exalt him and to worship him. And I do fear that that is a problem with modern-day evangelists. They enjoy seeing their name being given as the speakers and as the pastors of big churches. But thankfully, John did not have that problem. He was fully surrendered over to Christ. And when the people asked him, Are you the Messiah? He very quickly answered, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he'll thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's testimony left no doubt that he was not the Messiah, but also to fully stamp an absoluteness on that matter, Jesus suddenly appeared before the people to be baptized by John. Listen to these words beginning in verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. God very clearly does not want anyone to receive the glory due his name. He's reminded us of that over and over again throughout these scriptures. He's declared that we shall put no other gods or would-be gods before him. And neither should we put people before Him. That's an important lesson. That's a very important lesson. That we should never put people before Him. Here in a very decisive way, God let those people then and you and me now know that it was Jesus and not John the Baptist who should receive the glory. And after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit then descended upon Him in full view of all the people so that they would not be mistaken. And then God spoke like thunder out of the heavens declaring about Jesus, you are my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased. There was to be no doubt, no question. Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who had come to save his people from their sins. John here was only a messenger and he was a forerunner. He was sent out ahead of Jesus to announce his coming. And that he was not Christ. And he wanted everyone to know that. As great and as wonderful as John was, he still understood that he was not fit to unlatch the sandals of Jesus' feet. And to fully confirm that, John was not the one who would bring salvation to the people. We're told here that not long after this, not very long after this at all, John was then put into prison and then killed by King Herod for speaking against Herod's scandalous behavior with his own brother's wife. Again, God was decisive, and for a reason. He wanted the people then and us now to know very clearly that it is Jesus, his only begotten Son, who is to be our Savior. John could only baptize with water, but Jesus would do something far, far more wonderful, more precious, more profitable, To them then and to you and me now. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus would bring full and complete remission and forgiveness of our sins. And then he would do a very special thing. He would then baptize us, you and me, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Folks, I confess to you that I truly do not fathom the full meaning of those words in verse 16. That he'll baptize you and me with the Holy Spirit and fire. But I do know that these simple words are wonderful beyond imagination, beyond our comprehension. Now our charismatic friends claim that these words are a special gift from God that comes to reside within us. It's a gift that causes us to speak in tongues, tongues that we don't understand. A gift that gives them great personal joy and peace. And perhaps that might be true. But again, I confess, I have not yet myself experienced even a small measure of that manner of being baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. And I do fear that no particular denominational doctrine has a complete grasp of God's true meaning of those words, not our own, and not the charismatic folks. None of us do. I only know that If we could truly begin to comprehend these words, and if we truly begin to appropriate them for our souls, we will be completely different people. We would no longer allow our souls to be a little bit Christian and then a whole lot carnal. We would instead gladly exchange our wretched sinfulness for the joys of the righteousness of Christ. May I suggest that deep within these few words rest much of the work of sanctification where he tells us that he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. That that is much the work of sanctification that we read about all through the New Testament. That within these few words, there's a difference, that a difference, a change will begin to take place within our souls. That's beyond our imagination. Within my own meager ability to understand, I believe that in these words, God is telling us that to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire is for him to fully envelop, to fully saturate the heart, soul, mind, and spirit of a believer with the person and the presence of his Holy Spirit. I've thought, how how does that manifest itself? Firefighters use an expression fully involved when they're describing a house that's being completely engulfed in flames and is beyond putting out. For me, it seems to be that being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, that's what it might look like. To be fully involved, to be fully engulfed with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, so much so that nothing can quench the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And again... I have not experienced that, but I want to. That is what I want. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for you and for your family to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. But let me hesitate now for a moment and give each of us a strong warning. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire will probably not mean only pleasant days and peaceful serene moments yes the holy spirit is our comforter and that's mostly what we think of when we think of the holy spirit and so yes he is our comforter however one of the most important attributes of the holy spirit is also listen is also to convict and to cleanse each one of us from sin and often that can be very very painful especially for those sins that we want to hold on to. And there are many of those. You and I might not like to admit that, but we have sins that we like to hold on to. And it can be very painful when we have to give those up. Listen to what the Lord says here in the beginning of verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is a word picture of what the Holy Spirit, if you and I are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He says, His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. You and I in our day might not be able to easily imagine what these Words are saying to us. Few, if any of us, have ever been on a threshing floor. But the wheat is encased in a husk that has to be removed in order to get those precious kernels of wheat out of them. And to remove that husk, that chaff, it's a hard process. It's a hard process, but it must be removed. And that chaff, then, being of no value, is burned up. Folks, this is such an excellent Word picture that God is using. These are words of promise, but they're also a stern warning that much of the process that takes place is going to be difficult for us because it needs to clear the way for our hearts to be cleansed from all of those old sinful habits and inclinations that need to be burnt up. That sanctification and its process surely can be painful. Because that fire singes, it burns, and it scorches every fiber of our being. And it will utterly destroy all of the sinful ground that remains within us. So, if you pray right now to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, you need to be prepared for some very, very difficult times ahead. God is a jealous God He will absolutely use the Holy Spirit's fire to do its true work. And folks, that will surely hurt. But also know, without fear, that God truly is trustworthy with our souls, with our spirits, with our flesh. While yes, He will utterly destroy each of the sins within us, He'll also fully restore all that His fire cleanses within us. God is a dear, loving Father, and He is so trustworthy as a father. He's faithful to preserve us and to restore us back to a health that we've never known before. One so much better than we've ever known before. One cleansed from our sins and one that's filled with his precious presence. I know of charismatic churches, my family I've mentioned to you, have much a charismatic background. And that question would be asked most church meetings, whether it be Sunday or Wednesday or Sunday night? Do you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? I do fear that the people that were listening were not listening. Open their ears so that they can hear. Open their eyes. It's a whole different thing to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's not a personal enjoyment experience. While, yes, it it will produce joy beyond our imagination, that is not its purpose. That is not its purpose. But I want that. I want that for me and my family, for you and your family. And so I ask, are you ready for that? Have you arrived at a point in your life that you want to do real business with the Lord Jesus? Folks, I'm ready. And I'd like for you and me to join together and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to do His true work within us, to baptize us, with His Holy Spirit and with fire. Now I intend to dig deeper into this special invitation in the weeks ahead, so I'll pause for now. But consider again, if you're ready for real change to begin to take place within your soul, then it's this. Listen as I close. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's pray.